0: Listen to challenging topics and insightful conversations. We don't just report the news, we provide the real story behind the headlines by talking to global decision makers and influential figures. This is The Agenda.
1: This week on The Agenda, we're in Switzerland at the World Economic Forum, where China's message to the global elite was invest. We're open for business. Welcome to the agenda from the Swiss town of Davos, where global leaders and business gurus have gathered to transform the global economy. The big theme of the week, cooperation in a fragmented world, something that China's Vice Premier Liu He said couldn't be more relevant than right now.
2: We welcome more foreign investment in China to prevent and defuse economic and financial risks. If we work hard enough, China's economy will see a significant improvement in 2023 and it's a high probability event that the economic growth rate will reach a normal level. We also expect that China's imports will increase significantly this year, investment will increase substantially and residents' consumption will return to normal.
1: Of course, some countries already have close socio-economic ties with China. I spoke to Pakistan's Foreign Minister Bilawal Bhutto Zardawi.
2: I had the privilege of meeting the Vice Premier of China uh, here at Davos earlier today. Uh, and as far as his uh, talk was concerned I'm, uh, the, the the messaging about China being open for investment but also to engage with the world is is very important because um, there are many countries out there that perhaps want to or, or, or heighten um, geopolitical tensions or or, or, or um, see their national interest in an increase uh, of tensions but pakistan is not one of those countries uh, we would like to build bridges we would like to find uh, ground where countries can cooperate uh, we are facing many challenges uh, that are you know um, existential threats to the human race whether it's the covid pandemic which was a once in a hundred year pandemic that we're still sort of feeling the aftermath of and the economic consequences climate change is devastating uh, all of us uh, in pakistan we had the largest climate catastrophe in our history with a third of our country's landmass underwater following the droughts in uh, the historic drought in china and recently you would have seen that whether it's Australia or California, they're also facing flooding, so the climate crisis is something that we should be cooperating on. Um, this conflict with Ukraine and Russia has its own complications. So I think I was very encouraged uh, by the statement of the Vice Premier, and I believe that the, the vision and leadership mm-hmm. uh, that China is demonstrating uh, through this difficult uh, phase is, uh, is much appreciated.
1: He also reiterated President Xi's line about moving away from that Cold War mentality and countries working much closer and cooperating rather than pushing against each other. Uh, What what opportunities do you think that that, that brings for for Pakistan and China?
2: I think, first, that that this is the sort of leadership that is required on the world stage. It is time we move beyond small groupings and get out of old, outdated Cold War thinking. uh, And the test global leadership will not be uh, of conflict, the test to global leadership would be about our ability to cooperate on the multitude of challenges that we do face. As far as Pakistan's role in all of this, in the past Pakistan has played a role as a bridge uh, between China and the rest of the world. Uh, we pride ourselves on the role we played in the establishment of diplomatic relations between China and the United States in the past. And today, we would like um, to play the role as the bridge between the international community and China and encourage engagement, cooperation. We believe is good for our neighborhood, is good for the entire world, if we can all work together to confront the challenges that we face. We're incredibly inspired by President Xi's uh, vision uh, and consistency on this topic, um, as far as moving away from block politics, uh, from Cold War mentality, yeah. and engaging with the world.
1: And part of that vision, of course, is I- innovation investing in infrastructure. The Belt and Road Initiative, and you have a, a close relationship with, with with China on that, and um, both seeing um, economic, getting economic rewards with that link between um, China and Pakistan. Um, talk us through how that, how that's working out. So as
2: far as the one Belt, One Road initiative is concerned. We see the China-Pakistan corridor as a flagship, um, as a key corridor as part of the One Belt, One Road. Uh, we've definitely seen benefits, benefits in Pakistan since we started this initiative with uh, with our communication infrastructure, with our energy infrastructure, with our ports infrastructure, and, and, and an impact on the lives of average Pakistanis, economic impact and job opportunities. And I believe there's a lot more for us to unlock economically with the continued success of the One Bent One Road and the China-Pakistan economic uh, corridor.
1: And what about China reopening post-COVID? Uh, what impact is that going to have on uh, on your economy, on those jobs that you, you were talking so about?
2: I think that the COVID pandemic has had economic consequences for everyone globally. Uh, and it has uh, economic consequences uh, for China as well. I'd like to commend the Chinese leadership uh, for the leadership they demonstrated throughout this crisis, for the the value they attach to their own citizens' lives, to their own citizens' health above uh, everything else. Um, And now, having gone through the most difficult period uh, of, of the COVID pandemic, that China is looking towards opening up, I believe, uh, that will also open up economic opportunities. I'm particularly excited. Travel has been quite restricted. Uh, so I'm hoping to get in a lot more visits to China now that the restrictions are easing. Um, we recently did visit with the Prime Minister and had a, our first meeting with President Xi in China. Uh, and our first meeting with him on his first trip out of China on the sidelines of the SCO. Um, But I think both politically, diplomatically and economically everyone's looking towards the opening of China.
1: Well, you're talking about the movement of people. Um, What about the movement of goods, though? So we
2: are very keen to enhance our economic activity between the two countries. Uh, We are uh, keen to enhance the export uh, from Pakistan to China. I think there are many ways that we complement each other's. Uh, economies and we're working on ways and means to take full advantage of the economic potential between the two countries, I believe that uh, following COVID, but also the floods in Pakistan, which had an outsized impact on our agriculture, uh, that we had some, we have some difficulties in this in this realm, But we'll be on our feet, uh, backs uh, on on our feet soon, and we are starting our reconstruction and rehabilitations from the floods. So going forward, I hope to be able to take full advantage of the conducive environment. Uh, that China has helped facilitate. We have free trade agreements and such uh, for the movement of goods between the two countries.
1: And Speaking of economic growth, you mentioned uh, before that Pakistan has been acting as a bit of a conduit between the United States uh, and China. So I, I wonder what, what you think about what appears to be the new era of protectionism. I'm thinking about President Biden's uh, new inflation reduction legislation which seems to be aimed quite squarely at China. So,
2: I think there are a couple of things. As far as inflation is concerned, that's an issue that all countries are facing, and I'm sure that uh, all leaders prioritize addressing um, inflation within their own country, with uh, whichever means they can. There are many positives within a lot of the legislation that President Biden has done, particularly around climate. Uh, I think that there's been a lot of... Uh, as part of some of the le- domestic legislation, a lot of refocusing on what can be done, vis-a-vis climate change. But as far as protectionism is concerned, I think that's definitely not not uh, conducive, not in anybody's national interest, and not in our uh, not international, uh, not in our international interests as well. I'm used to hearing our Western friends talk about the free market and how the importance uh, of the free market, and it does seem strange uh, that. Um, we are. We seem to be moving away from that concept. I think it's important to have healthy uh, competition uh, between uh, countries, but ultimately um, it would be uh, more prudent uh, if we don't follow the protectionist uh, path that has been followed in the past. In history we've seen how when countries have, adopt, uh, have adopted protectionist measures, it's not only uh, not beneficial, uh, it's been counterproductive, it hasn't, it hasn't achieved what they desired domestically uh, and had international consequences
1: as well. It's, it's interesting that you, you say that the conversation is changing. There does seem to be a different tone uh, at this World Economic Forum to, to previously. It's almost like everyone's trying to out-subsidise e- e- each other.
2: Um, whether it's subsidies or sanctions or, or any sort of uh, punitive, protective, protectionist measures, uh, I think that we've become uh, too used to deploying these tools that should be uh, should only be in deployed in the most extreme circumstances, rather than uh, sort of uh, it's, it's you know it's becoming increasingly a regular um, option uh, for countries to deploy um, protectionist punitive economic measures whether it's subsidies whether it's sanctions and um, by and large I don't think that's healthy uh, for the global economy
1: let's talk about the cost of living crisis and climate crisis two themes that I know in your country you're particularly aware of it how they intersect it's okay. going to be interesting S- isn't it
2: absolutely so we we have a, a, an economic crisis at home. Some of our own making or our predecessors' um, decisions have resulted in economic difficulties for Pakistan, but also in a large part due to events out of our control. Uh, the COVID pandemic has had its um, impact on supply chains and on inflation. Uh, then um, there's the war with Russia and Ukraine and the associated sanctions, which also had a knock-on effect, not only for inflation but for our food security, for our energy security. And um, And finally, the devastating climate catastrophe that we faced earlier this year, another event out of our control, has had an outsize effect on our economy. And um, it has particularly been devastating for our agricultural sector, which is the backbone of our economy. We had five million acres of standing crop. Uh, destroyed, uh, just in that one, sort of the floods in the the monsoon. Then the second um, crop, which the first crop was our rice crop and our cotton crop. The second crop was our wheat crop, which is due to be sowed in the uh, southern areas of my country uh, in November. And that too, because much many areas either were still flooded or even some areas where the water had receded, they were still damp, so that crop had also been uh, affected. So as far as um, inflation is concerned, food security is concerned, uh, we do face an extremely difficult and testing economic environment, and we're not alone in this. This is something that is uh, being experienced internationally. But I would say, given the scale of the climate catastrophe of Pakistan, Our our, our challenges are, are unique.
1: Coming up on this special Davos edition of The Agenda, what businesses make of China widening its doors?
3: Deep Dive, a new podcast from CGTN Radio. We go beyond the headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen take a deep dive into the news every week. Here, our conversations.
0: Listen to challenging topics and insightful conversations. We don't just report the news. We provide the real story behind the headlines by talking to global decision makers and influential figures. This is The Agenda.
1: Welcome back to The Agenda at the Davos World Economic Forum. Here, the focus has been on building the markets of tomorrow and the role that China can play in that. I spoke to Peter Foser, CEO of engineering giant ABB.
3: We are serving all industries in China. We are very present in all of our four main businesses, with most probably the process automation, the smallest one. Um, We have this big uh, manufacturing place now in robotics because we see China as the biggest robotics market in the future, uh, quite clearly. And uh, we have had a strategy for the last few decades of producing locally and selling locally. So we are less exposed to geopolitical issues Uh, in China, we are less exposed uh, to technology which can't be brought into China, because 90% of what we sell in China, we produce in China, we produce it with our technologies in China. The robotics factory has a big R&D center, has an AI center uh, attached to it. So we look at these things as as one big market, one big country. It's, by the way, the same in the US. 90% of what we sell in NAFTA is produced in NAFTA. Uh, And therefore, that is key to our strategy. And that's why we are rather more optimistic and more resilient in China, compared maybe to some of uh, either competitors or other industries, which have relied on importing or exporting out of China. And that has never been our business model. So we are happy where we are. We see a lot of potential in the medium-longer term. A little bit choppy, most probably, as I said, already in 23. Geopolitics will be a key risk to be watched. Um, But I think um, we are well placed to participate in the key drive by the uh, Chinese government to focus on local consumption and local manufacturing and local production uh, because that's what we have been doing for a long time.
1: So you're all about innovative technology. What role can that play though in sustainable development?
3: It's the absolute key. Innovation is key uh, for getting more energy efficient um, with the latest versions of um, electric motors and drives which we have. Um, with electrifying uh, commercial buildings, private homes. You can save from 20 to 50% anything in terms of energy, and that's what we need. Uh, We do actually not need too many new innovations, because we have a lot already there, but it's going to be more. If I look at smart home steering, on how you integrate renewables, how you integrate, um, let's say, your charging on, on the electromobility side. It's, these are key technologies which we are bringing to the market as ABB, and they are absolutely uh, necessary. And it's not just in our business. Look at oil and gas, they need to re um, kind of direct money to uh, more R&D, to come up with new solutions, new products, and you could do the same uh, across everything. Let's maybe use, if I have a few seconds more on this, Electro uh, uh, mobility, the charging business which we have, we are a global leader in this, we are electrifying the charging business across the world and that is needed in order to facilitate the change from combustion engines to electric engines uh, and these are the type of technologies which you need and investments in order to deal with the big issues which we have, which is climate change, which is uh, serving society in different ways, um, being an attractive employer and, and, and you can go on.
1: Well, when it comes to economies, though, um, like China, for example, good, all this innovation and good intentions a- a aside, isn't the challenge here sustainable growth? I- isn't that really what you're looking for, you know, keeping the economy on track while then reducing environmental impact?
3: Yeah, sustainable growth has to be on everybody's strategic agenda because just growth with kind of uh, let the, the earth suffer more is not going to work. But I'm of the very, very strong opinion that you can drive sustainable growth um, and contribute to climate change, contribute to consuming less of the world or of the earth um, and still grow, but you have maybe to take a more medium-long-term view. You need to invest. And the investors, when they are short-term focused, they don't like a lot of capital expenditure, but that's what you will need in order to actually achieve sustainable growth over time. And I think the S and the G of ESG, this is all about serving all stakeholders, clearly the shareholders are very important, but we need to serve society as well, and therefore we need to accept that more investments have to be done for future growth and it cannot just be a straight line all the time. It it needs to be more flexible. But I think we are getting there. The understanding of investors are moving in the right direction.
1: What about investor appetite in 2023? Co-CEO of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, Wilfred Yu, said that the markets will benefit from China opening up.
0: I think it's great to see um, Vice Premier Liu um, yesterday, right? He came out and actually talked a lot about and give the world a lot of uh, information about what's going on in China, the progress it has made so far and the economic um, planning for the coming year. And most importantly, I think what we are seeing is actually the recovery of economic activities post uh, pandemic, right? And China is actually doing quite well in that. And he quoted a lot of the um, hospitalization rate, and the infections and all those things going on. I think that a lot of those things are kind of behind us. It's actually turned out to be a, a substantially faster recovery as we would be expecting in, the, in this year.
1: Well, let's talk about the Hong Kong Stock Exchange because you're really a gateway, aren't you, between East and West. And I wonder what you think is that, that magic ingredient that, that makes you a, a financial hub and that stands out against the others?
0: Very simple, I think what capital wants is actually to connect with the best opportunities available there. And markets want choices. And what we want to do is actually bring the right opportunities, uh, people who have the right ideas, the right opportunities to bring it out to the markets to allow investors to have that choice. Now a lot of innovations and creativity and developments we have seen in um, China are already there and our market is offering that opportunity for them to come and uh, attract the relevant capital. Now, away from that, we are seeing an acceleration of a lot of the reforms in the China market, which is going to bring along a set of increased set of opportunities for international investors to play with. um, And that is huge.
1: What though and where? Mm -hmm. and Which sectors do you see the growth coming from?
0: We have done uh, quite a lot of reforms in the last couple of years, since 2018. Uh, We have brought along the Chapter 18A, um, the biotech chapters, the WVR, etc. And today, new economy stocks account for about a quarter of our market capitalizations and accounting for a majority part of our our trading activities. So Hong Kong market itself is already very different compared to, let's say, a couple of years ago. And like what you were mentioning before, we are the super connector between the East and West and present a lot of opportunities in um, especially the new economy sector. Second area, I think, which is huge and it's a total game changer for us, is about international companies primarily listed in Hong Kong will be eligible for mainland flows, what we call the self-bound flows, and we have seen a, a lot of those interests from the mainland investors. This year, in particular, we are seeing like uh, those self-bound flows coming into Hong Kong market, reaching something like forty billion Hong Kong dollars a day in terms of trading activities. That's huge, and a lot of opportunities for us to explore.
1: And that's a change, isn't it? Because you mm-hmm. previously you focused on attracting Chinese companies. Now you're looking to lure international mm-hmm. companies for, for a premier or even a, a, a primary or a secondary mm-hmm. um, listing. So, what breakthroughs would you say are being made?
0: I think first, what we want is making sure all the rules, as Hong Kong is always very good in setting the standards and the rules, and making sure all the participants are very clear about um, the setup, right? So that setup is pretty much um, uh, in place and second phase of it is including for example our activities around international marketing. We just recently opened our US office yeah. right? and that's huge yeah, is to connect the um, people no matter it is the investor base over there or even potential issuers to actually considering listing a, a another listing here in Hong Kong to explore that opportunity.
1: Okay so you're on a marketing drive but, but yeah. only I think two? International IPO has happened in 2022, so why is it taking so long to gain momentum?
0: Hong Kong has always been um, the, the gateway for uh, a lot of international capital into, uh, into China and we've been very, very busy on that. Right? Last year we brought along like 90 transactions and we ranked like top five within the global IPO fundraising circle. So we have been very, very busy and we want to bring along actually more issuers in, into our market but notably last year was a difficult year right i think it's not only for, for us but for a lot of other international exchanges but we are very grateful that the greater china as a whole if we look at shanghai since and hong kong we have been doing quite well right we are in the in the top five uh, three of us so i think that gives me a lot of confidence that we're going to bring along more uh, in this coming year
1: but you know there are challenges aren't there mm-hmm. in, in harmonizing the economic and the, in, in the political mm-hmm. interest between asia and the west u.s china attentions weigh on your profit potential. So how do you address that?
0: When you can have a, a, an opportunity to have a win-win, you work on the win-win. And there's a lot of win-wins in the capital markets in the way the economy itself is integrated um, so much in terms of China and the rest of the world, right? So when we bring those two things together, one is the economy, the other is the markets, right? You are actually allowing capital to be precisely deployed into opportunities where the economic growth will be tied to. And that's the job that we we are doing, which is our primary role is actually to foster the the best market environment for investors and for issues to come in to offer that transparent, open, safe environment for people to transact. And that is uh, what we, we are very proud of. And that's why we are super connected, the super gateway to China.
1: Coming up on a future agenda, does the world need more growth or are there different ways to power the future? But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all of the Agenda team here in Davos, goodbye.